There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. On the 10th of February 2010, I always suggest newcomers look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. Bookmark all the sites you see up there, the alternate sites I have, for future use because sometimes the big ones go down or they stop me from uploading the latest shows. And the only official sites I have is uh, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Dot net dot us. There's also uh, cutting through the matrix dot ca. There's Alan Watt cutting through the matrix dot ca. There's cutting through dot dot com, and there's also Alan Watt sentient sentinel, which is the European site. You can download all the audios from there too, but you've got addition of transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given for print up, and you can choose from a variety of languages from Europe. I always say this is the tin can moment, so I rattle the tin can at the beginning of the show. If I was really, if I was really a, a professional money grabber, I'd, I'd say it every 10 minutes throughout the whole show, but I don't. I give you the, this break, so I say, remember that you bring me to you. You're the audience. You are the only ones who support me financially, albeit low as it is, basically. It's mostly the same ones over and over who help out, and there's not too many of them. Once in a while, a new one comes in. It's a one-time thing. So it's up to you to keep me going, and you can see how to do it if you go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You can either buy the books and discs I have for sale, or you can donate. You can donate or buy the books through various means. Personal checks are good from the U.S. to Canada. International postal money orders are good from the U.S. to Canada, from your post office. But you've got to remember you stress international that's a pinky international uh, communist one. That's accepted in Canada. You can also use PayPal to purchase or to donate. Just send me a separate email with a donation, and I'll get the stuff out to you. Outside the Americas, same idea. You have the addition of Western Union or MoneyGram. You can also send cash. Any country can send cash and is accepted through the banking system here. Of course, they charge a fee at the end for doing so. But it's up to you how you want to do it. But, yeah, you've got to keep me going. Uh, the ads on this show are paid by the advertisers, and I don't speak to any of the advertisers, directly to RBN, and I've got nothing to do with that. That pays RBN for the airtime and for the staff and equipment and for broadcasting this through satellite and so on. So it's up to you to say if you want to keep me going. It really is up to you. Um, most hosts out there, uh, if not all of them, are backed by companies or, or corporations selling something or other, and they bring on a lot of guests who simply promote the products, although they bring in the New World Order and all the rest of it, sometimes very, very informed about it too. But their main thing is to pitch their particular products at the end as well, because all all things and all information too runs on business. 
So this is the one that doesn't, as I say, the history of the past, where people have tried this kind of thing that I'm doing in the past, generally falls flat in its face. The other big sites out there uh, that are responsible for putting out information to all the other sites, and there's some here in Canada, by the way, uh, are backed by sources I'd better not talk about. But anyway, that's up to you. Uh, to see the different ways to do it. If you get the disc burned and passed to you and to play on your CD player at home of the talks I've given, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estair, Ontario, Canada. Postal code is P as in Peter, number 3, E as in Elizabeth, the number 4, N as in Nora, the number 1. Back after this break with tonight's topics. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix. You know, it's interesting to see the emails that come in because people's headspaces are in so vast a variety of places that you, and understand it too, because what happens, in the, there's so many factors which make up uh, this world in which we live. And so many movements, organizations going off in different directions. But power is an amazing thing uh, when you get organizations. They generally start off uh, really with the intent of gaining some kind of power or legitimate say uh, in affairs of the world, even locally or whatever. But it's power is behind so much of the stuff that we hear about, even the licensing of certain professions and so on, really come from an idea of a power base to give them legitimacy and um, academic standing, as they like to say. If you have scientific standing for, for the last hundred years or so, add scientific to it, you can, you can do anything, you can sell anything, you can, it's, it's science, you know, and that's all they need to hear, scientifically proven. So. Academia and professionalism has really taken a massive surge forward as the new priesthood, as the old traditional religions were being submerged by mainly the same academia. And uh, it's interesting to see the, uh, the, the forces that take shape because the difference with this world order, there's been world orders in the past, um, generally never complete world orders, uh, to do with trading, military force, empires, and so on. This is the first coming into being a complete world totalitarian system where a centralized government will and really does um, make and issue the orders for the rest of the planet to follow through through the binding treaties, they call them. Uh, to me, there's nothing binding. If, something's, if you join an organization and this, here's our mandate, here's what we believe in, uh, and they go off in some strange tangent once you've joined. I don't see why on earth you would want to stay in it. And people do stay in organizations once they've, they've joined and become familiar. They feel almost embarrassed to leave the group. They feel safe in the group or they get status or money through the group or something. That's a sad statement on humanity, but it happens all the time. And people have talked about societies and not in the secret societies. Most societies... Uh, that are secretive have uh, an open affront for the general public. It doesn't matter what they're called, to be honest with you, even so-called charitable organizations. You can take the charities such as the Freemasons 
And, and you have to ask yourself, well, why would a, a, a group of men have to swear uh, secret oaths and so on and have their meetings in secret if they're just a charitable organization who want to do good for society? Uh, it, does, it doesn't quite wash. And, of course, there's a lot more to it than that because binding oaths mean you're, you're giving uh, your word. Your word means an awful lot when you bind it. It's a legality to a particular cause. And, of course, the low-level masons think that uh, it's just something to do with it doing good works and a self-improvement course type of thing. And they really do. They really do. And other ones go in for the camaraderie that they get. And then an awful lot go in because the one thing that Masons will let you know is that uh, if you join, uh, then you get up the ladder in, at work. You see, it's a network which is sworn to help its own uh, get up there in life. But no one asks why on earth that they have pushed particular agendas that fall right in with this big uh, totalitarian agenda, such as fingerprinting. They used to run the, the fingerprinting courses for children. And remember, your fingerprints are there for life. It doesn't matter how tall you grow, whatever, it's the same fingerprints. And, uh, and of course, they run what's now called the, the Masonicship program. If you look into any of the Masonic sites, now why are they, why are they financing the Masonic chip program? The chip is actually something that, uh, can be put in clothing, stuff like that. But you know where it's all going to go, don't you? We, we don't have to even guess where it's supposed to go eventually. As we're trained to the familiarity of having a chip on us, it goes into your, your body eventually, as they're already doing with Alzheimer's patients and certain prisoners and that kind of stuff. Here's an article from a, a, a free sheet that's called, one of these advertisers you get in your mailbox of maybe a few pages, where as pure advertising, any stories are simply uh, organizations sending in their little blurbs of what they're doing and so on, and charity drives. Um, this is from Thursday, February the 4th, the Northern Life that I get up here in Canada, Northern Life, and it says a, a, little, a little ad there with a girl, a little girl uh, with a finger in front of her, her mouth and saying, and it says, Child Identification Clinic, uh, free digital fingerprints, digitalized voice sample, video images, so take the video as well, dental imprint as well, they take that as, as well, it includes DNA sample. Where, where about you get it? Sudbury Manitoulin Freemasons, Sudbury Masonic Center, off Regent Street, York Street behind Memorial Hospital Tower entrance to, and then at 10, and that gives you the times and so on in the days. And it's www.masonachip.org, or you can phone them at 682-4775. But that these are all over, not just Canada. You see the same things in the Masonic sites across Britain and different parts of Europe and elsewhere. Why are they into that? These are the same things they want to put on the personal ID for the whole planet here. But they train the children first. You know, they always train the children into the new agenda before they're old and wise enough to say no. They have no suspicions when they're young, especially when they're dealing with adults. They don't have suspicions. And that database goes to the police as well. And it'll go to every other agency and security agency, maybe even across the world. It's astonishing what happens. And everyone, you know, trusts and trusts and 
and it's for the good. And but the, do they need all of that? Your voice print as well. They actually need your DNA and your dental uh, imprint for records keeping as well. All that stuff. The the, the Freemasons. Anyway, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about too. But anyway, there's much, much more going on. This whole world we're going into, this controlled socialist uh, system, is quite fascinating when you see it from all the different angles and participants involved in it, and how old it is, in fact. Because remember, it all really started with Karl Marx. And Karl Marx himself, in the magazine that he was to write for in about 1849 uh, talks about the needs during the, the revolutionary phase, which could last maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however long it took, uh, would have to basically eliminate all this opposition and also those who basically um, were unfit to live in a socialist world. Long before, that's why, that's where Adolf Hitler got his idea from. And that's where John Stuart Mill also got his ideas from when, when he labeled different uh, peoples or ethnic groups uh, as, as being too far behind progress to catch up, so you'd have to eliminate them. That, that was the idea. There were people still across Europe who were peasant farmers. They were completely self-sufficient, even spun their own cloth. But they didn't go ahead and do much with money. It was like almost an unnecessary thing for them. And therefore, there were two, there would be two steps behind, or two, what they called two eras behind the, the modern capitalist society to force a revolution. So you simply eliminated them because it'd bring down those in the, in the advance revolution. That's what happened, of course, with the Soviet system as well, based on Marx again. Both Nazism and Marxism came out, uh, I, I should say communism came out of Marxism, and you've got to see the movie The Soviet Story. You've got to see it. I've mentioned it for months and months now, and those who don't see it really are missing a lot of documented information. If you think that the, the, these people who, who promise you a lovely equality uh, of, of a future, a nice utopia, You've got to see what they're actually about. You've got to listen, and you'll see it on the Soviet story. You'll see George Bernard Shaw from Britain, from the Fabian Society, one of the biggest players today, with so many members. I mean, the Prime Minister of Britain is still a member. The previous Prime Minister Blair was as a member, and they had them all over the world, belonging to the Fabian Society and many, many of its other groups, because it doesn't like to use the name outside so much of Britain, but it's all the same group. And they are part of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It's an umbrella. The Royal Institute for International Affairs is a massive umbrella group of all these organizations that work together towards their common purpose. And George Bernard Shaw uh, goes through on the Soviet story an old rare clip of him talking where he says that you will have to come to us and ask why we should keep you alive. Justify your existence, he says. And he was all for the elimination of uh, those who are behind, in other words, subspecies. That's what all this stuff comes from. It's subspecies they're talking about. Now, for those who think that communism is dead, uh, utter nonsense. It was to move into its next phase as it blended with capitalism 
That's why the bankers funded, that's why the Canada and the U.S. fed the Soviet Union for its entire existence. Right up to and after the collapse of the walls, the Berlin Wall. Every year, there was in the newspapers in Canada that the U.S. and Canada were competing for the best prices on their, on their grain that all went to Russia. People don't like to talk about nasty facts that are unsettling, and that's, that's the problem. You see, these things drop up again and get worse the next time. All the old Marxists and all the old hippie Marxists and all the academia Marxists that lived in Canada and the States and all through Europe all belong to the big, largest organizations that are across the world having global meetings, globe-trotting across from meeting to meeting to meeting, putting up their petitions, um, writing things out, massive drafts, and getting governments to sign them through the UN, and we are all obeying. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt from We're Cutting Through the Matrix. I'm going to put a, a link up, it's just a Google link for a search. There's a whole bunch of sites up there with uh, little flash videos of Gorbachev, Mikhail Gorbachev, who was the president of the Soviet Union when it supposedly went down. And then, in, and mind you, he immediately walked out into something that had been set up in advance uh, in, in the U.S. when he took over the Presidio. He was given it, basically, as the president of a new organization to use, again, ecology and greening to bring in uh, the New World Order, a socialist world order. And he walks across the world. Uh, he doesn't walk, he gets jetted across the world, of course. Uh, but again, massive funding from foundations and governments to talk about a sort of world socialist society. Uh, but this particular site here has him... Uh, back in 96 when he said and you can see it for yourself it says the threat of environmental crisis will be the international disaster key that will unlock the new world order you see the threat of environmental crisis will be the international disaster key that will unlock the new world order that was to be the and of course it has been used since then as we well know it's terror terror the sky is falling and uh, we're all to blame, apparently. It's all of us. Exactly as a club of Rome uh, had stated in their, their book, The First Global Revolution, uh, written in the 19, early 1970s. They said that was when, actually, actually it was printed in the 90s, but the, the, the two founders of the club of Rome wrote that book, The First Global Revolution. They said in the 70s they dreamed up the idea because that was their job to find a way to unite the planet. And they said we could use global warming, famine, uh, and the like uh, to to basically scare the people into going along with this. There's an, uh, a site out there called, um, I think it's called New World Order Reports, but it's about the Club of Rome and different organizations involved in all the scaremongering. And they have the quotes there. It's on many other sites as well. I've read them on the air before from different sites of different players uh, to do an environmental movement, the ones who have big voices with the IPCC at the United Nations and all the rest of them. Uh, and here's what one of them said. He says, the data doesn't matter. The data, meaning the facts, doesn't matter. The data doesn't matter. We're not basing our recommendations on the data. 
we're basing them on the climate models. That's their computer systems. And, and I've, I've already um, mentioned other videos to watch from other people who left the IPCC who said it was all utter nonsense and fake science. But that was said by Professor Chris Folland, Hadley Center for Climate Prediction and Research. So, um, it says, he also says the models are convenient fictions that provide something very useful. The models are convenient fictions that provide something very useful. Yeah, a cover, a front to get through the agenda of the planned socialist population reduction agenda. Where only the, the right folk will come through and live and be able to eat. You see, socialism again, going back to the Soviet story, the Nazism, it was involved. And you'll see how they worked together, actually, all through the 30s. In fact, in a sense, um, the way of disposing of millions of people uh, was learned by Hitler and his generals who went over to, to visit the Soviets who had lots of experience in that. It's always the same thing. They kill off at least 10% of the people by extermination as soon as they get in into power, in fact. That's standard in socialism. Well, socialism runs again. doesn't matter what guise it goes under. Uh, it's an international socialist order. When they talk about this equality, etc., through, through sustainability, they're talking about so, a world socialist society, but those at the top of socialism are always ultra-elitist, just like George Bernard Shaw, H.G. Wells, and um, and those who funded them and put them and made them who they were, actually. Uh, Dr. David Frame, climate modeler, Oxford University. It doesn't matter what is true. It only matters what people believe is true. It's a scientist talking for you, yeah. Paul Watson, co-founder of Greenpeace. Unless we announce disasters, no one will listen. Sir John Houghton, he was the first chairman of the IPCC. No matter if the science of global warming is all phony, climate change provides the greatest opportunity to bring about justice and equality in the world. And, and uh, Christine Stewart, former Canadian Minister of the Environment, said the same thing. For Canadian Minister of the Environment, yeah. Said the same thing. No matter if the science of global warming is all phony, climate change provides the greatest opportunity to bring about justice and equality in the world. You think, you get in the picture as to why uh, we suddenly have to give our money across the whole planet, the redistribution of wealth. Did you think... All you people who used to believe in communism, and so, did you believe it was the, the rich folks' wealth they were talking about spreading across the world? Did you? You understand that elitism of survival of the fittest is a, a complete doctrine intertwined with Marxism that brought Nazism and communism and now world socialism. And all these characters, John Holdren and all the rest of it, are now up there. They're now up there in government, running us. I wonder if how many people really get it. I wonder how many people really, really get it. I'll be back with more on this after the following break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. We, we always get the mainstream news after all the big meetings have taken place, after presentations have been uh, basically put into workable formats and presented to governments to sign into law. Uh, that's standard. And, and the media ignores all these big international meetings that go on completely. Once in a while they'll mention the name of something as it's happening and it won't really tell you what it's about. Because they're all part of it. Their owners are part of it. This article here is, uh, is actually uh, from a conference. It's um, the Conference on Economic Degrowth. Degrowth for Ecological Sustainability and Social Equity. It's held in Paris, 18th and 19th of April, 2008, so as a PDF and the whole thing, and I'll put this up too on my site. All these articles I read, you, I put up on the site at the end of the night. If ExploreNet graces me with enough speed to upload it, since they've cut me back deliberately. And um, this, this particular conference here is, is one of many that goes on across the world, put on by the big foundations and with government grants. Our governments give grants to all these private organizations who then make policy that the government introduces. And see, this is the new Soviet system. The Soviet system, ideally, but never in truth, was run by, by really um, councils. That's what Soviet means, ruled by councils. So meaning they'd have worker councils for factories and, and councils for other departments, the different areas of human existence and life and management and all the rest of it. In the West, we call them non-governmental organizations. The Soviets picked the heads of the, or the Politburo picked the head, the, the heads of all these NGOs or Soviets in the Soviet system. In the West, the heads aren't just picked, they're created by the big foundations. The followers don't matter much. They really don't. It's a class system at work. It's so wonderful how they use it. You always find uh, the discontented amongst all classes, but, and a lot of the, the lower classes too. And they go into the massive movements. They become, uh, they've got something to bitch about completely, constantly in their lives, and it's given to them. And they become the raging fanatics, which are useful for those who are heading them, who are off in a different direction, of course. They're always led by elitists, who are generally very wealthy and very well-paid elitists who work for these foundations. As I say, this article is amazing, though, because this is a typical one on how to degrow the, the, the research. I mean, I should say the, the farming industry, the industrial industry, bring them all down to sustainable levels. Bring them all down. And they don't see how they'd replace, by the way, the food for the farming and all that, meaning we have to start depopulating very fast. And the exploration of campaign tools for equity and sustainability. So there's that equity bit again, an equally downgraded planet for the masses, while this, the, the top ones go on ahead. Because believe you me, the academics uh, involved in this and all those in academia 
truly believe there are a much more higher evolved species, just like the, the Soviet system was based on a Superman exactly the same as Germany. Evolution, big parts of it. And they, could, they thought they could believe they could breed in a new type of, of Russian, a Soviet, uh, an evolved type, the same as Adolf Hitler. Again, that's in the Soviet story. You've got to see it. This is a lot of the, the, the names of the organizations that funded and took part in this, this thing in, in Paris. And um, Telecom was there, all the big organizations. The Club of Rome was there, of course. And um, all the American big corporation bosses were there, World Wildlife Fund. All the usual players that are now dictating to us and using governments, uh, whether it's congresses or parliaments, to then write it into law to make it happen, which really should tell you something. Your government isn't, I don't care where you live, it's not your government. It really isn't. Don't tell me for a minute that, that I know there, there are a bunch of psychopaths that generally go into politics to begin. They are psychopaths. I've got a list of the crimes committed by politicians in Britain uh, before and, and during while they're still active in politics. You've never seen such a bunch of people who, who are bankrupt in credit cards, drunk driving charges galore, and all kinds of mayhem as they, as they wreak havoc throughout their lives. Such people are great in politics because you understand they're always broke. They live way beyond their means, which means they're very happy to have a, a helping hand, we might say, from the right quarters. But this, uh, this Paris uh, link I'll put up to show you all the different characters that took part in it. And it also has links to all the different things that they came up with. And this is very typical of all the other world meetings that they have uh, across the globe. Very, very, and it's actually the same people are involved over and over and over again. Um, and the use of the environment is a big stick. Exactly what Gorbachev said. And I quoted it earlier on. So you got to get all this kind of stuff. But you understand, um, people in, in the European countries, more so in the US, I'd say, uh, are, are revolting. They're being, they're going into revolt. A revolt is different from a revolution. What we're experiencing is a revolution on us. As the big boys bring in their complete revolution. A planned revolution. You would understand that before the 1800s, or the 1700s, really, uh, the late 1700s, there were many uh, or, uh, people and groups in society who would revolt against new dictates that came from on high. And a revolt generally was meant to, uh, it was a last-ditch effort, like a back-to-the-wall thing, to protest some, some new law uh, that came down made you poorer, generally the peasants and different people, but often they were joined with nobility and feudal lords as well. So different classes were mixed in with it, and that's when their backs were to the wall in the peasant class generally, when instead of having a meal maybe once a day, now it's maybe two days or three days to, to get the, the granaries up in the king's um, particular silos because it was feeding armies to go abroad, that kind of stuff. They wanted to go back to a previous, juster time. That's the difference between people who revolt. Revolutions were organized in the late 1700s, and they became successful. And now you have the plan of revolution, as it's called, that came out with Karl Marx.
and really he used his basis for his whole agenda on the, the really the French Revolution, not other revolutions prior to that. So his theories of revolutions always being from a class from below pushing upwards uh, was, was a, a natural thing down through history was a, absolute bunkum. Absol- absolute bunkum. Look who funded Karl Marx. Look who funded him. Look who has funded uh, every communist uh, organization in the 20th century. And it wasn't little guys with tin cups. It was big bankers and the big industrialists who, who financed it. And there's so many articles out there. Uh, Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, excellent book to read by a professor. Excellent book to read. Um, uh, Wall Street and the Rise of Hitler is another one. Many books out there like that with documented stuff on who funded these organizations. And the big industrialists are still funding them all today. Look at, and I've read the articles before when it happened at Copenhagen, the big meeting, when all the big, big international corporations were all there to make sure they got their pieces of the pie because they're going to be trade billions of dollars of carbon taxes to each other and making massive profits off it. They already are. You pay everything at the bottom. See, it's a strange socialism, isn't it? Because those who always, as George Orwell said, um, some people are more equal than others in such utopias. It's always, it's always a class thing. It's, it's very, it's in a tiny minority lives high on the hog in these systems. And the rest of you keep them in that lifestyle. And you're all living at the bottom. Now I'll tell you too, these international socialists, using this eco-socialism as it's called, look up wiki yourself, at least it's got some good articles here on the types of socialism, because they're all really the same, and they call it eco-socialism. That It's actually racism. I'll tell you why it's racism, because it doesn't matter what color they are, or if you want to use the word color, which is kind of ridiculous to me anyway, but... It doesn't matter what group they put themselves into or you'd put them into. The fact is they believe they're a higher evolved species and that you're a subhuman. Therefore, it's a racist thing. It's an anti-human thing. Anti-human. Now, part of this world socialist agenda has always been the abolition of private property. that the state should really own all the property and rent it out. That's exactly what uh, Bertrand Russell said would happen eventually. And that everyone will get the little credits dished out to them by the government every week. You couldn't save them up at the bottom level. But you would rent everything. And Agenda 21 from the United Nations, which is totally, completely, and what has been from the very inception of it, a, a communist regime funded and set up by the big foundations, the big multi-trillionaires that run the world, like the Rockefellers, and the group of bankers that formed the Royal Institute for International Affairs and still run it, to run the rest of us, but with no private property. There's many ways to achieve an objective, and the public generally hit the first argument that they're given. 
they don't see why it's being done. It, it doesn't matter what reason they give you. It's the same. It's an agenda. Reasons are almost incidental. They get you off. It's like waving a flag at a bull. You, you go for the, the the flag and you miss you miss the guy that's holding it. It says here in this article, here is from Australia, news.com.au, government switched on energy move. They're following Britain. Now, all Commonwealth countries from run by England still yet, yes, and they still are, uh, will follow suit very quickly as a, an example to the rest of the world, you see. And it says, government switched on energy move February the 7th, 2010. All Australian homes will have to undergo a mandatory in- energy-efficient assessment costing up to $1,500 per property. That's just to have the inspection. Before they can be sold or rented under new laws to tackle carbon emissions. Now, I read an article maybe a month ago or longer uh, about this happening in Britain too. Again, Britain gave uh, this to a, a public-private corporation to get all the loot coming in from this con job. The mandatory assessment being drafted into law by the federal and state governments will rate homes by an energy efficiency star system similar to the ratings given to fridges and washing machines. It will apply to all commercial properties from later this year and to all residential properties from May 2011, Adelaide Now reports. A spokesman for State Energy Minister Pat Conton or Conlon said the ratings would inform prospective owners or tenants of a building's energy use so they could factor it into their buying or rental decision. The spokesman said details of the mandatory disclosure scheme, including who would carry out the assessments and how much they would cost, were yet to be decided. Energy efficient expert Arthur Gramatopoulos of Helica Architecture said rating properties could cost up to $1,500 per house. Well, you know where it's all going, because eventually, and I'm not kidding you, and very shortly, in fact, you won't be able to sell it without getting first paying through the nose for this uh, assessment and then uh, complying with all the recommendations uh, 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 that you had to do before you can sell it. Even mentions in here, two Queensland state government introduced a mandatory sustainability declaration form on January the 1st, requiring homeowners to declare their property's green credentials to prospective buyers or risk a $2,000 fine. Mandatory disclosure has been criticized by property experts. How can you be a property expert? It's either yours or it isn't. I think you're the expert. As an unwarranted expense that will not influence purchasing decisions or cut green, green, I mean, greenhouse pollution. It's got green hold pollution here. But... This is how it's all been run. The big con. The big, big con. Isn't it? Isn't it wonderful how they can use this environmental thing to get the whole manifesto through? Isn't it wonderful? And as I say, we can never go back to something once something's happened. It doesn't happen that way. The difference between a revolt is when people try to get back to a better time when it was a little bit better. We're going through a revolution that we're not running. The people who are bringing this on that we all have to abide by are running it all. And they're using the governments. They're just pawns, really, basically. As I can see myself. 
And as all this is happening too, you see under exactly the same thing as Marx talks about, you know, uh, the value of life, um, uh, valuable life, uh, the United Nations statement uh, on its charter that a good global citizen is a good producer and a consumer, which means if you're now a consumer and you've retired, it, well, you're a problem. You're a problem, as, uh, as their top writers would uh, probably say. Uh, you're costing the world money. Now, that can be used for better things, scientific purposes and stuff like that. This article here, Mail Online, a generation in denial. Millions face retirement poverty because they've remortgaged their homes and saved too little. 10th of February 2010, millions of people approaching retirement are being hit by a crippling combination of large mortgages and no savings. Some are getting hit too with uh, uh, devaluing money is plummeting is what you can actually purchase with that same uh, banknotes. Those aged between 55 and 64, known as pre-retirees, have been unrealistic about their pension. Well, a pension was brought in, you see, to get you through uh, once you had retired, because you never got paid enough when you worked at one time to save up anything. And in the UK, that was certainly so. When I was small, workers couldn't just, at that time, before they started throwing credit cards at everybody, you almost had a fixed economy. You can go from north to south, east to west in Britain, uh, look at the trade papers, and you would see, for instance, that a carpenter would be earning, is starting the same as an apprentice from Land's End to John O'Groats. Same starting pay. Rents were pretty well the same across the, the whole darn nation. They knew how much it would cost the average small family, man, wife, maybe one, two children to, to get through that week, and you were paid proportionately. Couldn't save. Fixed economy. Economists have been at it for an awful long time. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. There's an article too from CNN on DNA collecting. Now, we all know, I think we all know by now that the governments have been collecting DNA for over 30 years on everybody. Every born in hospitals from Australia all the way to Canada, to Britain, to elsewhere. And uh, it's never been told why, to the public why they actually took this, this, uh, these samples. But I guess to do with genetic testing for, you know, inferior and superior types. Uh, uh, the same things are going into shortly. And I read the article the other day there about them uh, setting up in Britain the clinics to where you can go and see if you might have uh, medical problems that will pass on to your child. And again, just like the, the present system of uh, of testing, they'll, they'll, they'll say, well, your child might be a little defective in this area or that area. Are you sure you want to, want to have it? We can deal with this for you if you don't. And I've also read articles where uh, a lot of them were advised, a lot of mothers were advised to abort their children, and uh, they found out that their ch- that children had nothing wrong with them. They're quite healthy. That doesn't matter, you see, because science must prevail uh, the myth of science must prevail over over evidence, straightforward facts and evidence. This article here is uh, from CNN.com. The government has your baby's DNA. 
by Elizabeth Cohen, CNN senior medical correspondent. It says genetic testing for newborns started in the 1960s. Specimens are often given to outside researchers. Yep, from the very beginning too. Scientists have said the collection of DNA samples is a goldmine for doing research. And it is for them, believe you me. When Anne Brown's daughter Isabel was a month old, her pediatrician asked Brown and her husband to sit down because had some bad news to tell them. Isabel carried a gene that put her at risk for cystic fibrosis. While grateful to have the information, Isabel received further testing and she doesn't have the disease. The Mankato, Minnesota couple wondered how the doctor knew about Isabel's genes in the first place. After all, they'd never consented to genetic testing. As simple, the pediatrician answered, newborn babies in the U.S. are routinely screened for a panel of genetic diseases. Since the testing is mandated by the government, it's often done without the parent's consent, according to Brad Terrell, director of the National Newborn Screening and Genetics Resource Center. And the link to that center is on here too. In many states such as Florida, where Isabel was born, baby's DNA is stored indefinitely, according to the resource center. Many parents don't realize the baby's DNA is being stored in a government lab, but sometimes when they find out, as the Browns did, they take action. Parents in Texas and Minnesota have filed lawsuits, and these parents' concerns are sparking a new debate about whether it's appropriate for a baby's genetic blueprint to be in the government's possession. Now, I also read an article recently as well, because someone in Australia tipped me to the fact he went on a hunt to try and get his little card back that the test is actually imprinted on. Uh, that was taken from him without his knowledge and he found that everybody in Australia has had the same thing as well and he found a place where it was all stored for his particular area in Australia and he still couldn't get it off them as far as I know but but what came out in Australia too is that the police have been using this stuff and even planting uh, people that simply didn't like or they want them out of the way planting DNA evidence at the crime scenes by using the stored DNA isn't it amazing that everything they sell to us and we just sit back and say, oh, that's nice of them to do that. That's nice. They'll catch crooks. And you don't realize, you've never, never clue in that they have an alternate reason. Well, from Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, I think that's the music coming in. And uh, I'll be back with more tomorrow. It's a good night to me. Your God, your God, so go with you.